0: Today I have the amazing pleasure of hosting one of my personal heroes. He goes by many names and wears many hats, but today we meet the one true timbo that watches over and provides for us all. Come along and let's chat with one of the best drummers out there and a true champion of the internet. Well, man, it's, it's like honestly, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, man. You're like one of my most like if i had a list of like the top 10 people like dream scenario i could talk to you're one of them man. i i don't know why that is but you know what i'm uh, honored <laughs> to be here do you prefer like this might be a dumb question but do you prefer going by tim or timbo uh
1: well the way i like to think of it timbo is a character and then this is this is me so i'm just i'm just tim yeah <laughs> <laughs> But when night falls... When night falls, I put on a mask, I put on a Speedo, and then Timbo appears Mm. under the moonlight. Magic. Magic or horror, you know, one of the two.
0: (laughs) I don't think they're mutually exclusive.
1: (laughs) I I guess you're right.
0: (laughs) Um, So that's funny, like, the, the way you describe it as, like, Timbo as a character because my my wife uh, who's like a big fan of your your Instagram videos and like all of the karaoke stuff you do oh yeah yeah um she I mean God she quotes it all the time she'll just <laughs> she'll just like come home from work she's a she's a barista she'll come home from work and she'll be like yeah hello <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's like I think the biggest tag anybody gets it's, from my videos and that's real that's that all comes from uh, I mean I guess that's how I talk but you know, I think it's uh, a kind of a Midwest accent thing. And I think more, yeah. more than anything, it picks up from uh, the way I, I as actually I was spending time with him this morning was it's my dad's dad, my grandpa. That's the way that he talks. He's just very, you know, that's yeah. hello there, you know, and, and it's not that bad. But it's, you know, I don't know <laughs> if, if you if you, too- you accentuate it hard enough, it becomes this kind of fun farce of a voice.
0: Yeah. Like you really savor like all the nuances. <laughs> 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 no, I t- I totally get that. My dad, um, so my dad is uh 64, I believe, turning 65 this March. Yeah. And he he very much has that like mid like midwestern boomer voice where you know he answers the phone and he's like, Yellow. <laughs> <laughs> you know did you did you grow up in minneapolis or um i grew up in a town like an hour from minneapolis it's called malacca okay. and it's it's a pretty small town but like uh minneapolis is just what i tell people because that's that's the one people that's, are gonna know that's
1: uh, i I'm, I'm i guess mine's a little harder to visual, well maybe to explain but the way i always explain it was the big cities too i'm smack dab in between milwaukee and chicago Ah, uh, yeah yeah but uh but usually, depending on who I'm talking to, you know, if it's international, I'll say Chicago because internationally they know that city. But if you're, you know, within the U.S., then I can say Milwaukee, and they get, and <laughs> they get that, <laughs> right. you know, right.
0: So yeah, international. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I freaking love the Midwest. So did you like? I'm assuming then you you grew up in Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, I grew up in Kenosha. I've been living in. I was born in Illinois outside of Kankakee in a town called Bradley. Um, And I think within about the first two years, we moved into a house in Kenosha, and I've literally been living there ever since. I've been in uh, the same house for 28 ish years now. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was hoping to get out of my mom's basement by now, but, you know, sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> you know stuff happens illness happens and you gotta you gotta make lemons out of lemonade but you know whatever that's life it's you all, seem to be thriving good. man uh, i'm i'm doing what i can i'm doing what i can with the ability i got right now and i'm uh yeah i'm i'm actually hopefully going to uh the hopefully the the doctor that can fix all this stuff starting tomorrow and hopefully i can start the process of getting that moving along so that's yeah. really 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 good news
0: absolutely so um, yeah if you I mean uh, like feel free to feel free to like if it's if it's too personal of territory but uh, just knowing the the little bit I do from what you've shared on like Instagram and whatnot um, I feel like you are such a shining example of like in the face of you know uh, just like different medical problems man you still are just like unrelenting when it comes to putting out uh content and like funny content
1: well i I think some of it is i I think the humor helps me to get a you know go into this other world that i don't have to feel like is reality and so on i'm fortunate in that the way whatever the heck i got is um i get some good days and i get some bad days so on my bad days, I'm either in bed or on couch on the couch most of the day, lying around, coming in and out of just sleeping. And uh, on my good days, I have enough energy to film some of this stuff. And so, um, you know, I'm able to create some content still, which is nice because for me, uh, putting out content on Instagram is is therapeutic because it's either my literally, I just film my drumming practice or it's me making like that big boy jones video which is, <laughs> that was that was a character uh me Another and good a, one. a very dear friend of mine Sahanjaya Suria um we've been working on that character for probably 6 months and now we just have notes and notes and notes and I'm I'm hoping to expand on that a little bit just cuz it's 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 just a silly silly fun thing to do um yeah but i mean you know being sick I mean, basic gist of it is I got I got mono in 2016, and then things have been going downhill ever since, and we've been trying to figure out what it is, and haven't had any luck. And I'm pretty sure now with I've had I have a bunch of blood work for the last year that I'm able to look at and kind of see what how metrics move and what metrics sit and. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure I have it nailed down that it's just extremely low testosterone, which is, thank God, it's something easy to treat. And if this, I'm going to uh, a urologist tomorrow, a, uh, in a craftsway, way, I guess you could say, a ball doctor. And so, hope, <laughs> <laughs> the hope is, is that this guy tomorrow can get me on the track to either, um, uh, again, I, forgive me for being crass, but for kickstarting my balls to to help you know create testosterone again, or to just simply say, all right, we're going to replace the testosterone in your body from here on out. Either way, I should be hopefully up and running again at a normal level in three or four months, which is would be a blessing. I've been down for almost a year now. Um, yeah, but I mean, with with being sick, I, there are a lot of benefits, I guess you could say, or there have been some really good things to come out of this experience. Uh, you know, I've learned obviously a lot of patience in the last year. Um, I've also learned um, just how difficult our healthcare system is to navigate in its present form. Yeah, and I've dealt with doctors particular particularly the last couple months. Um, in the Western medicine system where it feels, I, I, have had an experience that I think a lot of, um, uh, women can resound with in that, uh, I had a doctor who didn't believe my symptoms, who, uh, yelled at me for a half hour and told me that everything was probably in my head, um, It's, I mean, and you know, you you learn a lot through the adversity that you face um, in these types of situations, and um, I think if I, if and when, or hopefully just straight up, when I regain my health, um, I have a lot to think about in regards to how I want to move forward in my life. You know, I, uh, do you... What what do you do for a living? Do you play full time,
0: or yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing that I do is uh, I have I have a, a regular gig at a church in Minneapolis, um, and uh, between that, I do like other gigs. But and I produce and whatnot. But it's all music full time.
1: That's great, you know. And I and I thought that was kind of the route I wanted to go. Um, more so, I was thinking about getting into touring um just because it was an it was not an experience i've had thus far in life um yeah and you know learning what i have now through chronic illness i don't know if that's what i want to do anymore and yeah i that's in my mind that's okay um yeah you know i've been able to really reminisce on what bit of a career that I've had, and I've had a lot of really great opportunities that not a lot of people have had. And, you know, I've been able to play drums on Disney show soundtracks and Fox TV specials and um, pre-production for big movies and tons of video game soundtracks. Um, Yeah. You know, it's uh, and I've been able to meet so many wonderful people. And I even got to do um, a tour. Um, It just wasn't playing with a band. You know, last year when I quit my job in January of 2019, I took four months to travel. I literally drove from Kenosha down to Oklahoma or over to uh, California and all the way up to Seattle and back home over the northern states. I mean, I got to see a lot of the country. So, you know, now it's kind of looking at it from this vantage point. I'm able to say I have accomplished a lot as an artist. I have had a lot of fun, um, just as a normal individual out in the world. And the next step does not have to be this one thing that I felt like was the next logical step, which was again, to tour full time, whether it's playing or teching. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Um, You know, half of me, me, and this is going to sound stupid, but half of me wants to just, if I can regain all my physical strength, I I think about, um, have you ever heard of regenerative agriculture? No. No, I haven't. So if you think about farming, we have conventional farming, which is where you have these mega farms that have hundreds and thousands of of acres where they're farming uh, monocropping, one one crop, tons of uh, pesticides. And then in the middle, uh, we have um, organic farming, where there's still the use of pesticides, but there there are no inorganic compounds. Um, So it's much more healthy for you. There's much less you got to worry about. Um, It alleviates uh, any worries some people might have about genetically modified uh, foods and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And and then even further into the uh, hippie spectrum, if you will, we have... <laughs> <laughs> we have re- regenerative agriculture and that thinks uh of the soil's microbiome and you know if we that's kind of been the hot word the last few years is microbiome right we think about yeah. um you know stuff like kombucha
0: and probiotics and prebiotics and um yeah so so is the general is the general idea and, and correct me if I'm like 100 percent wrong, but what it sounds like is almost like farming and growing things with the consciousness of like how it's going to set up the next generation of crops.
1: Yes, yes, and how and not only the crops but the soil themselves. The the soil is is so crucial. Um, we through um, conventional farming, uh, there's the issue has become that. We use so much uh, nitrogen and, and chemicals to enhance uh, the size of uh, crops and to just to better help them along in the growing process th- uh, that mm-hmm. we've, de- we've depleted these nutrients and the mechanisms behind how those nutrients are made in our own soils. So back in the day before we had any of these chemicals we were dumping in, you know you would just put a seed in the ground
0: and it grows, you know Right. Well, and stuff was so much smaller, like an apple. Yeah. Like in 1950, you could not find an apple the size of the one that you grab at the grocery store now.
1: Right. So the way that the way that we can get back to these natural, I guess you could say, you know, natural and form fruits and vegetables is by creating the relationship between the soil. And the roots of these plants again. And what that means is back in the day, there were bugs, bacteria living in our, uh, tons of bacteria living in our soil, and they would speak to the tips of the roots on these plants. And the plants would say, hey, I need nutrient A. And the bacteria would say, well, I can make nutrient A but I need you to give me nutrient B. So it was this symbiotic relationship between the plants and the soils. Yeah. And so the idea behind regenerative ag is bringing back those bacteria, helping them thrive, and then that in turn, helping the plants thrive and eliminating the need for chemicals from these huge corporations and getting back to simple, um, healthful... Uh, farming yeah uh, which which is it's it's very attractive to me um, especially at the this early stage here there are um, very few corporations involved there are very small farm operations involved you don't have to have thousands of acres um, to make this work uh, and uh, it's 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 something new to me you know I've been playing music since I was eight years old so we're talking over 20 years now i've been playing drums for over 15 years and yeah. uh you know i am just i think i'm at the point now in life where i don't know half of me wants to do something new and 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 part yeah. of that also comes from wanting to do something simpler getting to a simpler place where i can try to um just in, enjoy life a little more uh in, in the being in the moment versus, you know, waiting for, you know, the the excitement of the next gig or the excitement of the next session, you know, just literally just being there and enjoying whatever I am doing in that moment, whether it's, you know, tilling soil or picking crops or, you know, dealing with whatever, you know, freaking groundhogs or this, that, or the other, you know, it's, it's just, <laughs> yeah. just simple. I don't know. It just... Obviously, I don't want to romanticize it. It's it's tough work, and um, yeah, it is. And I don't. <laughs> yeah, it and it's it's much more complicated, I'm sure, than you know I I would ever uh, want to assume it is. But it just I don't know. It just it's something I I'm really considering right now, uh, yeah. looking into. And so. I think
0: also it's it's tough work, but it's also admirable work. Um, I'd, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I mean, I so my my dad has farmed most of his life and, uh, you know, his, his dad did some farming and, and I come from a town where, you know, 50 years ago, there were only a few families in the, in the area that weren't farming. Um, and so I'm very much, uh, like grateful to people who can still chase that and still make that happen because small farms are really, Hard to come by now.
1: Oh, they're you know? disappearing. I, living in Wisconsin, over the border here too, we see that all the time. All the small dairy farms, the family-owned dairy farms, um,
0: mm-hmm. our... which my dad did dairy for, you know, 25 almost 25 years. Wow, essentially by himself, and it's just not really possible anymore you know
1: I mean, the other thing we worry about too is i mean just general farmers look at we have special industries here i don't know what you guys have up there but something i worry about down here that's very special to wisconsin is the ginseng industry um okay you, tell me more about that uh, i mean it's just that it's you know here's this one crop that um uh some immigrants came over and uh, two generations ago now uh, and I want, it's, I want to say, they're, I don't know where, but from somewhere in China, they came over here and found that the soil worked really well for ginseng, which then they were able to... It, it took a long time to set it up. It takes, it's, it's crazy. It takes like four or five years for you to see your first harvest. And wow. then once you have that, you're able to uh, you know, start get, you know, getting these huge stockpiles up, and you, you export them over to China... Where it is a, you know, it's a very popular crop and, yeah. you know, make your money that way. But and it's just special because this is one of the only states in, uh, in well, it's one of the only states where we're able to successfully farm this on a commercial level, which I think yeah, is, and it, what, is,
0: what is ginseng primarily, like, used for? I
1: know it's used in a lot of herbal stuff. I would assume some of it's going to be used in uh, traditional Chinese medicine. Um, but, okay. I mean, it's also used in a lot of cooking as well. So and it's it is it is it's a very small root crop, but it is like worth a ton of money. It's worth a ton of money. It's really really wow. an, an interesting little industry. There was I always like watching. They have a, a it's in a ton of shows on on PBS. Um, and I after I after I saw that I started following the uh, the main farm in Wisconsin has a really cool Facebook page that I follow. Yeah, I feel, I feel like an eighty year old grandpa right now talking about (laughs) all this stuff on a podcast
0: no it's great i mean you honestly you are probably the person that reminds me the most of people from where i grew up because like like i'll go home and and my dad uh like i'll literally you know drive up to see my parents for a weekend or something and my dad will be playing solitaire on the on the computer and and watching like steer auctions on tv amazing (laughs) that's just like you know what he does
1: for fun you gotta you gotta get your kick somehow you know i guess steer auctions there's there's worse vices to have than watching steer steer auctions
0: yeah you know i mean he's he's (laughs) he doesn't smoke he doesn't drink he's got his he's just he knows what he wants i love it i feel very i feel very at home talking to you man
1: uh, that's it's it's yeah I, I I mean I love the Midwest is in my heart you know even traveling um, out west uh, I hated that people are gonna hate me for saying this but I hated California I really did not connect with California at all
0: what was it that kept you uh, from connecting
1: I just I don't know it was the vibe the some of the people. I mean, maybe I, I maybe the problem was I didn't find my pocket of people there. I loved traveling there. Um, yeah, and uh, spending a little time with the few friends I have out there who who do live out there full time. Um, but it just it, it I had to keep going further north. So as I got to Northern California, I started. I was able to breathe a little bit more. Um, it felt and, and by that I guess I mean I just I felt a little better about. You know where I was in the world, and then you cross the Oregon border, and I felt a little better. And then, um, I spent something like two two and a half months in Portland, and um, that felt like like home again. That felt really great. I have more. It's really bizarre. I have more friends in Portland, I think, than I do in uh, Kenosha anymore. Wow. And uh I really loved it out there. It felt Midwesty. Um and I think it's yeah. as yeah, I, I think I, I think I like Portland minus the cost of living, I like Portland more than the Midwest. But other than that, there's really I don't know, it's always gonna be home, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I know I know plenty of guys who've moved away from the Midwest, and whenever they come home, they call it home. You know, it's still, there's something about, I feel like the Midwest in particular, when you come from here, it's just like so, it's like in your blood. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and I know a lot of people who've moved to Minneapolis from somewhere else, and this still feels like, like they call this home. Uh, There's just, I don't know. I feel pretty fortunate to have grown up in the Midwest. And like specifically... uh, where we are in the midwest cuz i feel uh i feel a very similar feeling being in wisconsin to being in minnesota they're very like similar parts of the midwest i think i agree
1: yeah i went to kansas city uh, missouri for the first time in december and i i mean it was it's a beautiful city and it was nice to visit but i couldn't imagine growing up there i just it's a I think for me, it's the water. Um, and I don't know, uh, you know, like what literally th- the water, the water. Yeah. I there's something about I live less than a mile from if I was able to literally walk through houses and stuff, I would be able to walk straight through to the to Lake Michigan and in, in less than a mile. Um, wow. And uh, there's something about living on the water, I think, that. That means something to me. I think there's something about, um, I don't know, it's the location being being in between these huge population centers um, from that were humongous population centers a hundred years ago. Um, I don't know the vibe, There's something about the vibe, dude. It's, yeah, it's just different. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, anyways vibes
0: um (laughs) the vibes (laughs) um (laughs) Um, so I'm I'm a little bit interested like hearing you talk about how I mean how much affection you have for like where you come from and all that sort of stuff and where you live now um what what was like your in to doing the things that have been kind of like career-based milestones so far because like you were saying you've you've done like pre-production stuff and you've done like disney stuff you know television um how did you do that from a place like kenosha uh the internet
1: is the short of it
0: um yeah you know i had a lot of fun growing up
1: and playing in bands we um it would go as far north as Manitowoc. That's where um to make when making a murderer happened. We used to play shows up there all the time. It's about two hours north of me. Oh uh, yeah. And we would go to watch ast- that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's usually as funny as it is, you know, it's a very small town, but it's it's funny how that's like a a physical marker now in the in the Midwest. It's like, oh, you know, the, the making a murderer place. Um Right. And you know, we go as far south as is below Chicago. Um but uh, never, nothing ever amounted to anything. You know, everybody grew up, and I'm, you know, I think I'm one of the few people I know from back in the day who are still, I don't know, trying to do this in some capacity. Uh, yeah. The, the, there's a there's a phrase. <laughs> it's kind of stupid, but I really love it about doing music, which is uh, the longer you do it, the longer you do it. And so <laughs> you know, it's like um I like another phrase too from from Gary V that is, you know, it's it's also about, you know, if, if you talk about don't I, I, you know, I, I used to like Gary Vee, I don't like the guy as much anymore, but I really this this <laughs> this phrase stuck with me, which is uh the person who holds their breath the longest uh wins. And so, you know, you feel... I felt so stagnant uh, working in the music community here. Um, I quit playing in bands shortly after I got sick. And what's funny is then in the last, really, three and a half years, um, that's when my career really took off. I gained this following on... Uh, Instagram, which is now in excess of like 10,000 <laughs> ten people watch my stupid videos. Hell yeah, dude. Um, I'm one of them. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'm very fortunate, too, that it's a lot of, you know, it's not just, um, you know, our, our local, you know, your local drummers and stuff that are watching my stuff. I'm very fortunate that... um industry veterans like watching my my videos and like hanging out with me when they come through town and um yeah then one of my the craziest things that i feel like happened recently was i i looked at my followers list and uh one of the new people who started following was uh abe laboreal jr paul mccartney's drummer and you know holy it's, shit. you know when i know it's stupid to to feel you know like a follower means something but it's I guess it's just fun to be able to say, um, "Hey, you know, mom or hey, grandma and grandpa. Guess, guess who's watching my videos regularly? Paul McCartney's drummer. You know, it's that kind of name right. recognition. Always kind of helps me um, legitimize my playing to my, you know, parents and my grandparents. And it was the same. That's with, so interesting. It was, it was. It was the same way with the session work too. You know, I. It started taking off. It was all through Instagram. And I had a producer reach out to me and uh, he asked, you know, do you do session work? Do you do, you know, remote session work? Have you done remote session work? And I lied through my teeth and I said, yeah, I've done that before. And yes. <laughs> uh, as bad as it was to have lied in that moment, I'm really glad I did because um, I, I did like a slot machine uh, soundtrack for um, what's that play called? The Wizard of Oz play, Wicked. Oh yeah, and uh, that turned into video game soundtracks, which then led to the Disney work and and most of all of the big work, the movie soundtracks, the TV soundtrack stuff. All of that was through the one producer. Um, I worked wow. with a, I worked with a few bands here in Wisconsin and out on the West Coast doing uh, albums, and then I also worked with. Trying to think, there was a guy in uh, Seattle that I did some video game soundtracks with, and probably a couple other ones. But the one main producer was feeding me all the work, which was uh, which was a blessing. Yeah, and, and to me, you know, we talk about I had been playing for over a decade, um, and really, it was all local and the only impression that my parents and grandparents had of musicians was my uncle, who was a drummer, and he played bars in the 80s and um, had a lot of fun being a weekend warrior, made some good money, uh, but it was also a lot of uh, shenanigans that would happen at the shows, if you will, um, yeah. and I think that left a negative impression on his parents my grandparents uh, and then it also left you know kind of a negative impression on on both my parents and so being able to say hey I'm not playing bars I'm in your basement uh, my mom's basement here uh, <laughs> yeah tr- tracking drums that have been sent off to LA and then have been sent off to a recording studio in Japan and then were mixed and now they're in like a multi-million dollar uh, live show at the Disney park in tokyo and here's uh a a hundred youtube videos of people watching this it's like oh okay okay we finally understand tim is probably talented uh and that his his work is actually doing something out in the real (laughs) world
0: real world right right i think that's so fascinating too like uh the dynamic of like wanting to because I feel that too, like wanting to legitimize stuff to my parents who probably understand it the least out of anyone that I you know that knows that I do it mm. if that makes sense, you know like there's this there's this like uh unspoken or just like un, uh, undefined thing, but like I want to show them that like what I'm doing is, is cool or like is, is legit. Uh, even if they can't really like grasp that the way that, you know, like our musical peers would. So how have you it's, accomplished that in your world? Um, I would say that like my, my parents have always been huge supporters of what I do. Um, and I've, I've been very fortunate to like, they, they've been very excited cause we don't, like my family doesn't have a lot of musicians and so I don't think there were really preconceived ideas of what that's like um and my parents have for the most part just been like really interested in the different things that I do but there's this just desire to sort of like really let them understand like hey you know I'm doing this session with so-and-so it's where these guys that I really admire record and, you know, and um, different things like that. For some reason, it just means a little bit more to, like, let my parents know, <laughs> if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I, j- I just I think that's so that's so fascinating. And in, in hearing you talk about like, um, I mean, something that I didn't have in my dynamic was another member of the family who did music. And so uh i don't know it just reminds me a little bit of of the similar dynamic that i have with with my parents of just like wanting to like show your work i think y'all
1: I, y'all I mean i think any child wants to make their parents proud generally you know if, if yeah. you if you have if you can grow up and then as a young adult um still have a decent relationship with your parents and grandparents which I'm finding out is is actually not as common a thing as you might think it is. Um, no, <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> you know, but if you if the if the relationship is still there by eighteen, twenty, twenty five, you still I think you still have that yearning to say, you know, to prove to them, hey, I'm doing you right out here. Yeah. And, um, what's nice at this point, and I'm I, maybe you can connect with this too is that now that i have legitimized this to them through my recording and through the company i keep and the experiences i've had i don't have to there's there's nothing i don't i don't have to care anymore you know like it's there's i don't have to do any <laughs> i don't have to do anything for to to legitimize myself anymore i can do whatever i want if i want to go be a farmhand and you know Wear overalls and look like J D Beck for you know the next three years. I really don't. I don't have to care, you know. Um, Dude, I f-
0: fucking love that.
1: <laughs> but it's it's true. I, seriously, it's true though. I
0: love that. So many people like, I, I mean, I do identify with that to an extent. But I feel like, like hearing you talk about that with so much conviction, I'm like, man, I need to do my thing with that much conviction, <laughs> like you know i I mean that the thing that I really admire about what you're saying is like there's nothing to prove no you know no you know and, there's and really nothing to prove. I think the other thing too for me is i've
1: I've always been the uh the f up kid you know I've never been the the best child of the bunch, and so that I think early on I always had that conviction you know to just not care um Not in some haphazard way, but just in a, I don't know, I guess not
0: a... hmm. Don't take criticism too personally.
1: Well, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to take the criticism too personally, but I'm not going to try to be reckless. You know what I mean? Right. When I was
0: young, I was. At 30, I'm not. Um, (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) It sort of like takes a new shape, that same, same, uh, like, I don't care, like, I just don't care when you're... 14 sounds different than and looks I just different. don't care when you're 30. Exactly. And, it, and exactly. it looks
1: much different. You know, I think when I was 14, 15, I don't care meant I'm going to go do drugs and party and, um, you know, th- put, throw my responsibilities to the wind. Whereas I don't care at 30 means um, I, love, I love my family and I want to be a responsible member of the little household I'm in. But um, I'm also going to pursue my, uh, not my dreams, that's a freaking cliche, but really just pursue what, whatever things I want to pursue without fear of whatever... <sighs> poor statements you want to you know label me with whether it's from a sibling or a a parent or whoever you know i
0: uh right
1: uh, and i you know i they always mean well my parents my siblings my grandparents everyone means well i think that sometimes um any parent or any any relative or, or loved one can sometimes um misplace their uh their fears and and you know sometimes that becomes whatever whether it's uh you know anger towards that family member who's trying to do something different or um i don't know sadness or it's just an an unproductive emotion that's placed on these people you know and thank god that's that's not really an issue either but it, it is still tough you know i have uh do you have any siblings
0: i've got one brother what does he do yeah Uh, well, right, right now, interestingly enough, he is, uh, he's beginning, um, since my dad is, is like getting older and he's doing like a little bit less with the farm. Yeah. My brother's actually, uh, still living at home and he's, he's older than me. I think he, I think he just turned 26 and he's starting his own farm slash vineyard. And I believe he's doing it like organic, uh, and there's like a vineyard close to where I grew up, and he's trying to like work in association with them and just like be selling his crops locally, and sourcing everything locally um, for the people, you know, in our town. Um, but yeah, how that's do kind you, of his thing?
1: How do your how do your parents look at his work versus your work?
0: Um, you know, I haven't really thought about it. Um, I. I think part of this, uh, how I'm about to describe it is like maybe not how my parents think about it, but it's how I imagine they do, is that my dad has been self-employed for as long as I've known him, and for a lot of his life, he's done you know either odd jobs or he's been self-employed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think me also being self-employed is almost my way of like honoring what he taught me through that the legacy of like entrepreneurship yeah like he the one of the biggest things i learned from my dad is that you can make a living doing what you really care about and for him it was specifically working with animals um and also like doing the various things that it takes to take care of those animals so crop farming was a big part of that Um, you know, working with machinery and, like, learning to fix things, that all falls under the umbrella of, like, taking care of animals. Yeah. Um, And for me, it's this obsession with music and, a you know, a reckless abandon that makes me, like, almost drop out of high school and all that crap. But, like... (laughs) Sure. uh, But, like, I think the the way I want to, like, honor what he taught me through that is to chase that thing I love and make it work. Not necessarily make a killing doing it, but like create a good life doing the thing that I love. Yeah. Um, and I think that I, I at least I hope and I imagine that the way they look at what he's doing and what I'm doing are, are pretty similar. Like he, uh, is trying to figure out something that he can do with what he has. Uh, and I think in a little bit more of a direct Uh, a directly related way to like what my dad did obviously because it's farming it's like working the land and like living off that land um so I don't know I mean I think there are times when I wonder if if he's you know if he's like yes one of my kids took over the land (laughs) yeah and and uh you know because because I wondered too like what if what if neither of us takes the farm you know, w- would that make him feel a certain way? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I do think that he is, even though he may not be disappointed if nobody took the farm, I think that he's glad that my brother is taking over, if that makes sense.
1: In the same field.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In in literally the same, <laughs> the same field, you know. Yeah. We grew up yeah. on a 160 uh, acre, you know, square plot of land. You know, like there's a river that runs through it in the, in the back part of the, in the lot. I bet that's beautiful. it's, I, I had no idea how nice where I grew up was until I, you know, was like 20 years old. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, it's so quiet and it's so nice and it's beautiful and you can see the stars and things like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, man, I don't even know what question I was answering. Oh, you know,
1: you are kind of talking about siblings, and I think that's it's interesting, you know, just to hear about dynamics within families. For me, yeah, you know, i I grew up trying to be an academic. Um, my parents got me into this uh, enrichment program, which was basically where they bust all the nerdiest kids into a classroom in elementary school for second through fifth grade, and um, after that experience. Uh, i tested at a level where they wanted me to go into honors classes in middle school and i said screw that i'm sick of being the nerd and so i didn't do i did not do that in middle school but then i got back into like an honors type program in in high school um, regardless uh music was the one thing that seemed to stick you know i, I don't think i really had a thing before music uh, and i'm yeah. lucky to have found that thing because i feel like you know i'm not a not a great drummer, you know, it's, I'm just, you know, I have a, oh shush, you know, but you know, I have, (laughs) truly though, I mean, listen, there are kids that are 12 years old that can play their butts off much harder than I was ever, than I'll ever be able to play, Um, and um, I guess I'm just fortunate with the visibility I've had, you know, I, for some reason, I've I've always had a knack for... (laughs) being loud um uh and I, I mean i mean that in like you know uh i don't people people seem to like me um i've always been i think friendly and uh you know i've always I've, i was you know a big kid growing up i was always the friendly funny fat kid and so i think that that helps in many situations um yeah and as much uh, and, and but but I, I don't know what the heck the point of this is i guess the point of this is that. Um, music was always my thing, and I don't think academics was ever going to be the answer for me. I, I got an English degree because it was the one thing I was, uh, kind of good for, um, uh, besides music. And I, I used that degree professionally for almost six years, uh, in a corporate setting, but, man, it's just, it's not my thing, you know, and it's, it's hard for me because the sibling dynamic is, uh, both my siblings are so smart. They're so smart and they're, they're uh, becoming, both of them are becoming so accomplished. Um, my brother's in pre-med. He, was, he got a degree in, in business and focused in HR, but he really did not like the work in HR. He didn't feel like he was really helping people, which is what he set out to do. Um, yeah. And so now he's back in school for pre-med and he's going to be a pharmacist. Uh, we grew up in a medical family. Dad worked in—I uh, was just in the IT side of things, but he worked in pharmaceuticals for for years. And um, my mom is uh, has worked in edu- uh, nursing education for many, many uh, years now. And um, so, coming from that background, now that's why that's why my brother's going into pharmacy. Uh, he's worked at the hospital in town here since he was 16, and he still still does while he's going to school. Uh, my, That's so cool. Yeah, my sister, she um, got her pre med here in town, and then she's finishing up a master's program at Madison um, where she worked on uh, a big project that was focusing on uh, heroin use in uh, rural counties in Wisconsin. That was really interesting. And now she's actually working on both. Uh, studies that have, have had quite a bit of na- uh, national attention, um, like the um, psilocybin studies uh, that are happening in Wisconsin, using psilocybin to help with things like depression. Uh, so like mushroom, magic mushrooms, the the chemical and magic mushrooms using that for depression. And then also uh, she's working on the big, again, nationally recognized study that's working on what does it look like when we use uh, I believe it's MDMA uh, to counter the effects of PTSD. So shes it's really just far out stuff, but they're seeing yeah. such incredible results with this. And shes she's so smart. She's traveling all over the country, presenting her work at all these big conferences from utah to california and georgia i mean she's everywhere she works she works so hard um and uh i i i play drums <laughs> 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 so, yeah
0: so that's the conversation you look forward to at thanksgiving that's when the when uncle and aunts go
1: <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> you know it's how are thank- the drums <laughs> Thank God I don't really have to worry about that conversation too much but you know it's when I talk to you know other folks it's I, I, I think I guess maybe the way to say it was is um when I talk to more normal folks you know less artsy fartsy less creative type folks you know it's yeah it's it's hard to, when to say that yeah my brother and sister are gonna be doctors and I play drums you know they don't they don't get it um, yeah especially after I came from a place where, uh, you know, I did work in a corporate environment for almost six years and I did work my way up there and I had, you know, I was on the track to – I could have made a, you know, whatever, a 30-, 35-year career there and gotten the heck out and retired and been done. Um, I don't know. It
0: just uh, – some things ain't in your heart. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, you know, again – just hearing that reminds me of like what I was saying. My, my dad, I feel like taught me was you, you can, you can sort of, I think you're faced with a lot of decisions that really boil down to like, this one's lucrative and this one will make you happy. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're not always that cut and dry, but I think for me, it definitely was like, okay, this thing, uh, is what's going to make me happy and it's not going to make me rich. You know, I think if you're planning on that, you're essentially planning on winning the lottery, which is a bad idea.
1: I agree. Um,
0: But it's like, this thing isn't going to make me rich. But if I can make it work, I know it will make me happy. You know? Yeah. And I think that's kind of, I don't know. I think that's super interesting because, like, uh, even with a lot of the people I work with, I don't really, um, at least that I'm aware of. Uh, know a lot of people who, you know, went through, got their degree, went into that field, and then, you know, I'm talking to them today and they're, you know, professional working musician. Uh, That, to me, is really fascinating because I feel like you have a a deeper sense of, like, you gave that uh, 9 to 5 life, if if that's what you want to call it. Like, you gave it a shot.
1: Yeah, I tried to exist within the normal confines of society and it was a long time yeah and 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 it it was it was you know what it it worked on the surface level but it was soul crushing on the inside you know if i went back and i loved some of the many of the people i worked with um i really did care about Um, I worked with, uh, I had many colleagues on my level that were, uh, were just wonderful people. I I was fortunate too, because I worked within a creative department. Um, and there, it was, it was huge. It was bigger than most agencies. I think now they're up to 140 ish people in a creative department, um, which is, which is like unheard of copywriters, photographers, graphic designers, um, Um, Yeah. you know, people that do Photoshop uh, imaging work, everything you can imagine in this department. And so, you know, not only were the people on my level, great, I got along well with so many of the directors, just wonderful people. And I was even more fortunate that the, the VP in the department, uh, liked me and we just really got along and, and worked really well together, um, it was, you know, it was just other factors there that just it just didn't didn't work. Uh, and I yeah. actually, I what's so funny is I still keep in, in touch with a lot of these folks I used to work with. I'll, I've got I get lunch with some of the gals I used to work with. Uh, last week, I got I had two like two hour phone calls with a couple of the guys I used to work with, uh, a copywriter and a guy who do, who like does catalog layout, and then another guy I hung out with who's one of the uh, uh, photographers over at work. We went and we buddy of mine named Perry, we have this we whenever we hang out, it's we get breakfast, we go and shop records at this one record store we love that's north of Milwaukee, and then on the drive back we head to this guitar store we really like. And so it's so funny that I keep in contact with all these folks. You know, it's um but yeah. but I guess the point being is I was going to say one of the conversations I had with uh, this other copywriter who I used to work with was um it's it's kind of uh i mean this is very true i said it as kind of a joke but it's very true and i said you know what if i if i do ever get out of this and i decide to come back to you to to work with you again i'm just going to be the guy who drives the van between the two corporate buildings i do not want to do anything more than that if i'm in a corporate setting i want to do a stupid job i forgive me maybe it maybe driving a van isn't stupid but i want to have <laughs> i want to have um I don't want to have to, I don't want to have, if I'm going to work in that environment, I don't, I just want to have a job. I don't want a career because my career is in, Mm. in, in music. You know, that is where I get my fulfillment. So if I'm going to throw all of my creative energy and a lot of my physical energy into something, it's going to be the one thing I really care about.
0: Yeah. I love that. That way you put it to words, like not a career, a job, you know, and it's not that fear because sometimes I think it's easy to have a fear of like, no, I can't have a job that's not music because that's me like giving up or selling out or something like that. But uh, it's not it's not the end like that, you know,
1: mm. Hmm.
0: you know, so I don't know. I love we, I love that attitude.
1: Oh, we talk me and my. My very dear friend Sahan, who I mentioned previously, we talk about that all the time, and he is uh, just as hard into the music stuff as I am. He he releases records as a um, a beat maker. He's played uh, drums in a lot of hardcore bands and, and punk bands and rock bands, and um, he's he's working on a book uh, about uh, this uh, canonical punk band from Milwaukee called, uh, Um, he's, he's just doing so many things, but we talk about because we have so much skin in the game of music that, yeah, it's just, it's, we would rather have at this point in life, he's, he's about four years older than me. So, you know, in your thirties, I think you get to the point, some people get to the point where the route forward seems to be, working what me and sahan call a b or a b plus job and then again making the career in in music
0: yeah yeah that's fascinating
1: are you in any professional organizations or anything like that (laughs) um professional how (laughs) i guess like uh you know like uh Like for me, I'm in the percussive art society. Do you do anything like that where it's like, you know, groups of drummers or groups of producers or.
0: No, that's a foreign, foreign world to me.
1: Well, it was foreign to me until about a year ago. Um, I, uh, I got a call from uh, a guy who runs the, uh, well, he followed me on Instagram. It's so funny how all these opportunities come from the internet. Um, but I don't know if you're familiar with uh are you familiar with the Percussive Arts Society at all?
0: I feel like I've heard of it. Have you heard of paisley? Like no, I don't think so. Oh wait, did they do a did they do like a conference in yes. the past couple months? Yep. Yeah. So Okay, so, was um was Sarah, I forget ta- ta- her last ta- name. Like, she's like incredible like gospel Indian rhythms. Yes. Yes. Okay, so I remember seeing stuff from that conference. So
1: um, that's what that is. They do this thing in Indianapolis every year. I think it's 10,000-plus um, people come to this, where it's just a, a bunch of manufacturers come to show their new wares off. And then there's also a ton of um, really, really cool clinics. Um, my favorite this year was Dave DiCenzo, who's a, a – oh, excuse me. Dave DeSenzo is a instructor over at uh, Berkeley. And he is just incredible, dude, just wild. But anyways, PASIC and the, and the Percussive Arts Society, I got a call or a, a DM a couple years ago from a guy who was just like, hey, you know, I'm, you know, in uh, the Percussive Arts Society and I'm on the board for the drum set stuff. And, uh, you know, we're going to be needing some people. You should apply. I said, uh, all right. And uh, <laughs> literally months and months and months and months and months go by. And finally, I applied, and, and he got me on this drum set committee, and it turned out he was the head of the drum set committee. Really great guy. And uh, what happened was then I, I went to this uh, Percussive Arts Society thing, and it was really cool. I, got to, I, I sat on this committee where uh, we work with some of the manufacturers and uh, you know, just industry insiders to kind of determine what are we doing to educate uh, drummers And uh, how are we going to accomplish that at next year's uh, PASIC event? And so it's been a really interesting opportunity. It's cool because I felt really comfortable going in because now you're sitting around a humongous table with, I don't know, let's say 40, 50 people. And, you know, you have people from all, all these manufacturers. And what made it so comfortable is, thank goodness, I knew some of these people through things like the Chicago drum show and through Instagram. So it's like, uh, you know, Uli Salazar from Ludwig was there, uh, who I've, I've known through the drum show for years and other local events. Um, and Sarah from Zildjian was there, and I've known her through uh, some of the videos I make for Zildjian. And, uh, you know, it's it was just, it made it such a comfortable experience for me. But uh, moving forward with that, what's really cool is now I've been able to help with... Uh, they're starting to do a drum set competition, so like a solo competition, and uh, I've, been, I've helped uh, judge that. And now I also helped... I was on the committee to help decide who presents at PASIC 2020 and what are they presenting on. So yeah. it's... Uh, That's huge. It's really fun. It's
0: a really fun opportunity Um, Does PASIC have like an Instagram that people can go uh, check out?
1: Yes. Yes. So if you search percussive arts, that should pop up, their page should pop up and it's worth giving a peek.
0: Um, Absolutely. I, I feel like I feel like after the last convention, I ended up following them because I've seen a lot of the stuff that you're describing. Um, and it's really, really cool stuff. I think Ash Schoen yeah. was that the last a- one yep. too. Ash was at the
1: last one. Um, great, great, great drummer. Um, there were a ton of just amazing performers. The, the current drummer for Chicago was there and you have such a range of performers. And what I'm really hoping for in 2020 is a lot of education around where are drummers going now? Because as you, as you've heard from how I've made my little career, um, I didn't gain traction until I got to the internet and combined my skill sets, uh, of not only drumming, but then recording. And so that I think is part of the future for drummers. You know, you think about, uh, one of my favorite people who does, does that work is, uh, Dylan Wissing from Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, great, great, great drummer. And, uh, he does a lot of work for. I think he's. I mean, like Drake and Eminem and a lot of hard-hitting artists on on you know platinum-selling songs. It's just like wild. And that is now a yeah. career. It's a career path for drummers. You have a room with some mics and some drums, and you know you put your name out there, and sure enough, you'll get some business, whether it's local or national, and and that's how you make your career. Um, the other part of it too is is just. You know, if you're not going to make a career on that, well, you still need to market yourself nowadays. Um, I hate that. I hate the idea of of marketing. So I guess I try to have some fun with it. You know, I mean, if you look <laughs> at my Instagram, um, for me, I like to think of it more as uh, networking. And I, again, I hate that term, too. God. Um,
0: they, but, get, they get so used and watered down.
1: Right. You know, but I guess for me, it's like creating these acquaintances... Um, that can become friendships, and um, you know it's it's creating these relationships where I can learn, and uh, hopefully they can garner something from me, whether it's comedy or, or you know entertainment or whatever. Um, yeah. So I think hope- one of the
0: I think one of the biggest like key things to like marketing and, and trying to get away from these cliché terms is like really just putting like you're saying putting yourself out there, and I think your, the big your authentic key thing self, is, your authentic yeah. Self. And I think the key thing is, like, what what makes you different? Like, you are, if you're going to boil it down, it's like you are a drummer and you are, like, a recording drummer. Okay, but what makes you unique? And I think for you, it's, it's your ability to, like, make people laugh but still bring excellence and, you know, creating these funny characters and these bits, and it's like, that makes you unique. And so bringing yourself to the table is is more important than just like trying to prove that you're good at drums, you there's, know? What I'm you saying? know, listen, there's there's 10,000
1: drummers out there trying to put out content of them chopping. And you know what? I think it shows that yes, are they technically proficient? You bet they are. But where does their personality come into you know, come into this equation? With my yeah. si- with my silly videos, I think if I ever decided to pursue touring, um this would help show that I'm going to be a good hang and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be a jerk. I'm just a silly, you know, a silly, I, I I have a silly good heart. I'd like to think. Um, and, but some of the other playing videos can show you that I can, I can groove pretty well and I can probably play what your band needs in a drumming role. And, uh, on the recording end of things, you know, part of, again, being my authentic self is that, um, you know, I'm not Jimmy gospel chops or anything, but I can, (laughs) I can make a recording sound good. I can put a few chops in if you really need something. Um, but more than anything, I, I hope that I can convey that, you know, I, I really love serving a song. I love playing time. And, uh, You know, I I think that I can. I'm I'm really continuing to hone in on making that a, um, a primary skill of mine. Yeah, I I look to I look to drummers like uh, Jay Bellrose. Uh, are you familiar with him at all? I don't think so. Uh, there's some really great records, um, that you should check out of him playing with uh Larry Goldings. Um, if you look up uh. Scary Pockets did a record with the guy. Uh, Larry's an incredible organ player, uh, and he did a right. Yeah, uh, he's done. I think a couple records with with Jay on drums. Jay Bellrose also. Uh, another record to check out would be the newest Madison Cunningham record. Really, really incredible drumming on there. And what's Madison so cool cu- Cunningham? Cunningham, yeah. And what's so special is again, it's just it's very simple groove oriented uh, drumming, but it's just got so much character for him. Um, I think something special comes from the drums he uses. You know, a lot of times this is a guy who's using uh, a set we call the Slingerland Rolling Bomber. Are you familiar with that at all? <laughs> no, it sounds awesome. It, it is awesome. So during, uh, during World War II, uh, all the drum manufacturers had to bring their drums down to a total of 10% metal. Everything else had to be wood because they needed the metal for the war effort. And so, Whoa. yeah, so if you look up the Slingerland Rolling Bomber, the lugs are all made out of rosewood, all the hoops are made out of wood, um, and so having all of this wood and all of the lack of a metal on these drums, um, it, it, it makes them look cool, and they sound amazing. They just have a tone all their own, and Jay is known for using those Um and creating some yeah, really really at pictures cool pictures right now, aren't they're they just look beautiful, gorgeous. Yeah, uh, that's you know I don't I really think that it's a uh, what would you call a pipe dream, but with DW DW buying the Slingerland brand again, it would be such a amazing thing to see them bring something like that back. Yeah. Um, I don't think they ever would, but if they did, I would cry and probably yeah. sell, sell all my drums and just have one stupid big drum set. Um, Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I think what's special there is is the gear thing, and I think that's something that I I try to hold dear too is that I try to take a balanced but still modern leaning approach to drumming while generally using old drums to accomplish what I'm doing and old tones. Um, yeah. I think that's something special. I don't think uh, a ton of drummers uh, do that. If you find a drummer who's playing on vintage drums, generally you're going to find that they're using vintage chops, vintage grooves. Um, and when you find a player yeah. who's playing on the modern, then you're going to see them using modern chops and modern grooves. You don't, you don't see a lot of overlap between those two uh pools of people so now baby until now that's why you got me um but uh i don't know that's something special um yeah i actually pulled so something i i talk about too is so i used to own a lot of drums men i want to talk about gear acquisition syndrome um (laughs) because i don't think we talk about it enough I was having a conversation uh, with a wonderful drummer, great guy I know, uh, actually from Kansas City, and we were talking about gear acquisition syndrome. He's having a heck of a time with a drum set that he, he recently bought. He sold, he had three kits, three vintage Ludwigs, I think, are no, two Ludwigs and a Slingerland, all just, you know, old three-ply drums, and he loved them all, Um And then he got this brand new kit. I'm not going to mention the manufacturer. He got a brand new kit, a very nice set of drums uh, specs wise. And he hates them. He hates them. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we were talking like, well, what can you do? Can you get the edges recut? Can you get new hoops? You know, and he's been trying several sets of heads, different brands, different, uh, you know, amount of plies and thicknesses and this, that, and the other, and nothing is making these drums sound good. And, We kind of talked about. I wanted to tell him about kind of um, how people who struggle with substance abuse uh, and then clean up find that if they're musicians, gear acquisition syndrome can really bring in a lot of those addictive tendencies because we're always chasing this high. You know, it's like, ooh, I got the new snare, ooh, I got the new kit. Yeah. What What's so interesting is that when we do that, we get uh, we don't play as much. We don't enjoy playing as much. We don't dig into the gear that we have to really explore what we can get out of that gear. You know, it's. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it's. uh, You You create a much less healthy relationship with your playing and with your existing gear. And so I personally went from something like, I don't, I used to keep like 10 kits around the house and 30 or 40 Holy snare shit. drums. I mean, it was stupid. It was stupid. And now I'm down to three kits. And if I could sell any of them, I would, but I just can't, they're, it's sentimental at this point of some of them. And I just, I can't get rid of them. So three kits and less than 10 snares which is still a lot. You know, you you can only play one drum set at a time. (laughs) Um, Right. But it's it's much more manageable. So they say. Um, You know, and the same thing for me applied to a lot of other things in life. And I think a lot of people can connect with this, whether you're a drummer or not, is records. Now everybody's buying records. And Mm -hmm. uh, for me, that's so tough because... When I was growing up, my grandma had a room where it was just full uh, from the floor to the ceiling with records. The closet was packed with records, and there was one record player you could get to in the room with two speakers, and you could you know, listen to whatever you could find in this room. It was amazing, everything from classical to David Bowie. And um, I started buying records when it was not cool to buy records, and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and when it got cool, I was still buying for a while. I got up to 2000 records. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. And I, you know, I thought about it for a while. And what sucks is if you ever move, moving 2000 records is very time consuming. It's very expensive and it's a little risky. So, what I did was I started selling my records and thank goodness I, I bought some of, I bought carefully and I didn't lose my butt on a lot of it. Um, yeah. But now I'm down to just like I've, I have maybe 30% of the drums I used to have, I have even less a percentage of records. I've whittled myself down to less than 50 records. And yeah. the benefit is, is you have these things that you love so dearly. And so I thought I would share a few records that I think everyone needs to check out as a, as a nice farewell before we get to your farewell questions. Yeah. Okay. And I would guess, and I want to I know if you've heard of any of these records, because I would guess you have not. Yes, please. I'm,
0: uh, I'm super excited now.
1: All right. So we're going to start with number one, uh, medications. Medications. That's the name of the band, and the album is called Completely Removed.
0: Completely Removed. Yeah. I'm literally writing every one of these We're writing
1: them all down. So, uh, Medications is a band that happened after Farrakat, which was a band on Discord Records, the famous Washington, D.C. label uh, that featured bands like uh, Minor Threat, uh, Nation of Ulysses, all of these early uh, hardcore punk emo bands. Um uh, it's just, it's a prolific label with a prolific catalog. Fugazi, one of my all-time favorite bands since I was a kid. Um, and this record is really special because when we think of twinkly emo, you know, like uh, uh, and Jazz or um, a lot of these modern bands that just feature a lot of tapping guitar, this has a, all of that kind of vibe. But it is so, the the guitar playing and the drumming is so informed by jazz, and it is so technical that it just creates just, it's a very, very beautiful record to listen to. So yeah, that's number one. That. Okay. Number two, and we're going to go all over the board here musically. Um, all right. Number two, this is a record by a band called Rosetta, like Rosetta Stone. And the um, album is called "A Determinism of Morality," and this is special. This is I. So I grew up playing hardcore and death metal, and thank good for me. I thank goodness I don't listen to that anymore because I was a very angry person generally when I listened to that stuff. Um, (laughs) But um, this is one of the records I always come back to. I would probably, if I had to put a genre on it, I would say it's post-metal. There's a lot of uh, heavy guitars, lots of delay, big room drum sound. It's it's a very beautiful record, and it's my favorite by the band. Um, and if you like metal, but you're a grown-up, this is what you need to listen to. Nice. Right. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one. Uh, this is... The uh this one's kind of cool, because it's uh it's just it's it's a hard to find record and uh, I don't think a lot of people have heard it. It's a female artist. She used to go by Eskimo, but now you can find the record under the name Gabby's World, and the title of the record is just Okay, um, spelled out or just the letters? Just okay? the letters. Okay, yeah. And Gabby's World is the band, and it's it's just very. You know what, I really like um, some of the younger female artists that kind of have this really pretty, soft, uh, understated records. Um, Frankie Cosmos is really hot right now. Um, She, I believe, used to date, but she worked with on some of her early records. I think his name, I think he's going by like Pools or something. Maybe that was the name of his record. This other guy who does these really cool records too. And um, this feels like some of that... Uh, younger younger kids making pretty quiet understated music in brooklyn but this just feels so much more uh mature to me and so i connect with it better on that level um yeah really cool production uh still feels a little garagey but it's it's like it's a nice balance of garagey and polished um yeah great great listen uh have you heard of any of these yet are we getting anything in here that you've heard of No, all but I I love that. I got four more, and then we're done. So (laughs) this one, I guarantee no listener has ever heard of, and if you've heard of it, I need you to DM me on Instagram because this is a bodacious record. This is a band called Stu, New Stu, three words, S-T-I-U, N-U, S-T-I-U, and the record is called Ultra Silvam, S-I-L-V-A-M this is killer killer and they're not it's not on streaming uh, you, uh maybe it's on youtube or bandcamp i had to order this record from i, I think i found the record on a like a bandcamp or not bandcamp a uh, a uh, blogspot back when you could download music on blogspot um and i i bought the record from the band i want to say they're from like sweden or something and it's just like something i always come back to is like super i love really miserable music like just so (laughs) sad like melancholy like that is my jam and this has all of that it's got big guitars and really just like banshee wailing vocals like pretty pretty banshee wailing vocals on it and it's man it's killer it doesn't sound like any of their other records it is just like Amazing! It's an amazing, amazing record. Check it
0: out if you. I don't know where the heck you're gonna find it, but if you find it,
1: check <laughs> check it out.
0: And seriously, um, if if somebody if somebody listening knows this, actually DM Tim, please, please,
1: please, for the sake of the Lord. So, <laughs> all right, third down here we got the weaker than's. Have you heard of them? This is probably the most popular band I got right here. No. Okay, so they're from just north of you up in Winnipeg. And okay. um, the album I love, this is my favorite band and ever. And the album I would recommend, I'd recommend all their albums, but if you've heard uh, all their albums except for their live album, check out their live album, Live at Burton Cummings Theater. Uh, and this is special to me. Uh, I grew up listening to this band from the time I was about 13, 14 and it was fun because I grew up uh, with their catalog as I was kind of digging into their catalog. So I started with their more punky music. These were punks who, uh, one of the guys started, uh, the main songwriter, John K. Sampson, started in like a hardcore punk band called Propagandy. And then started doing this music, which was almost like alt-country informed uh post-punk rocky stuff it's it's far out really 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 great amazing compositions and the the lyrical content is just beyond it is just amazing 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 i was fortunate enough to see john a few months ago for the first time uh playing solo with his wife down in chicago and i i don't really enjoy going to concerts anymore as a concert viewer uh i really just you know i'm a player and that's what i enjoy doing but this was the first thing i felt like comfortable and just so enthused as a as a concert goer seeing it was amazing and a few years ago actually the drummer the drummer is probably the most uh informing of my voice as a drummer this is the guy who i went to to say like how do you craft a drum part um uh, Jason Tate. Amazing, amazing drummer. He plays live now with uh Bahamas. And have you heard of Bahamas? No. Oh, oh God. Dude, I, I, I am I am you're you're like schooling me right now. Check out the last Bahamas record. Um amazing grooves, uh great messages in some of the songs. Uh and the dude's a super nice dude too. I was really I, I was uh pumped to meet him too. He's very nice. But Jason favorite drummer ever, um, and I, I, he followed me on Instagram, and so I sent him this really nice message about, you know, how really he is the the person who has informed my voice the most, and you know, this, that, and the other, and he wrote back, and he's like, this is the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me, and I was just like, oh my god, <laughs> and so... He uh, we, we talked and he agreed to to meet while he was playing in Milwaukee with Bahamas. And I literally got to spend an entire day driving around Milwaukee with my biggest drumming inspiration ever talking about life and shopping for drums and playing drums and shopping for antiques and eating. It was just like, man, it was that was one of the coolest days I've ever had in my life. So weaker than seriously, thans. that's it, like
0: a that's like a dream come true.
1: It is, yeah. If you've never listened to the Weaker Than's and you're looking for a pr- prolific um, groove player who thinks outside the box with uh, his grooves and with the way that he uses percussion, Jason Tate, the band is the Weaker Than's. Please check out their studio albums and their live album. Um, all right, we got two left. This one is actually a soundtrack so are you a tim and eric fan yes have you seen the comedy no i have not so so tim heidecker uh worked with rick alverson on a film called the comedy and it's a very very dark movie if uh if you're a film buff and a tim and eric fan i would recommend you watch this but do not drink or use any illicit substances beforehand that might be downers because this movie is so (laughs) sad it is so sad but it's it's amazing um the the soundtrack though is is really great um some of the highlights i would say are um songs by gangs g-a-y-n-g-s uh, Bill Fay's on here an amazing songwriter um he's no I don't think he's yeah he passed years ago but he was amazing dude just he, he recorded so, so much i mean posthumously he's he's had a lot of records come out um and some really cool ambient work on here by uh William Basinski this is just and it's uh it's queued up in a way that it's just it's a great listen especially as a record where you listen to one side at a time and it feels like you're, you're trying to create a mood through this this listening experience so the comedy is the movie the soundtrack is available on vinyl buy it that one i Amazing. would buy one of my under 50 records all right my last one this is a drummer's record okay this, uh, this is the most expensive record I ever have purchased because it was only pressed once uh, because the band was on Interscope, and I, I would assume they still own the rights, and they just will not repress it. A lot of the other albums by this band have been uh, repressed. Uh, this is The band is going to take you about eight hours to write down the name. It is And You Will Know Us by The Trail of Dead. Uh, most people just call them Trail of Dead, but it is And You Will Know Us by The Trail of Dead. Okay. and the and the album is called worlds apart um this is an epic record this has been in my top 10 um for a very long time this came out in 2005 i probably discovered it around 0809 when i started working at a guitar store and one of the owners had this on the computer, and we listened to it. Then it was just mind blowing as a drummer. Uh, the record features two drummers. Uh, the if you if there's one song you're gonna listen to on here, I would listen to "Will You Smile Again." Uh, amazing, but in my opinion, the best way to listen to this is to listen through the entire album in one sitting it's one of those albums where every track meshes into the next and it feels like one giant uh literally orchestral composition Uh, they use things like timpanis in here and huge percussion and giant room sounds to kind of feel like you're you're in this environment with the band i mean there's um there's sound effects in some songs that make you feel like you're on the ocean that's i think it's a guitar but it sounds like a seagull i mean there's it's just like the wild 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 stuff i love that and when we get off the uh the horn here i am going to put on this record because it is it's you know it's one of those where you listen to it once and your mind is blown and every single time you listen to it uh there on out you find something different uh, within yeah. the record that you're just like those seagull things. Like I never heard those for a while. And, and then after I heard them for a while, I'm listening closer and I'm like, I don't know that that's a seagull sound bite. I think it might be a guitar with some some reverb on it. and, and it's just like, oh, uh, it's so, so cool, so, so cool to dig into. So there's I your love homework deep stuff like that. There's your homework. <laughs> Listen to about 800 Next. records.
0: <laughs> next week we'll 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 uh regroup and uh, yeah for timbo's record club
1: i got i got <laughs> about timbo's 30 Re- more you're gonna have to go through
0: so go to go to got- go to get your merchandise at teespring.com slash timbo <laughs> i did i have been doing that
1: merch for that sugar percussion i might have to do something here for timbo's record club that might have to happen wait you you do have some merch Oh, not for me. I make merch as a joke. So I, um, like, okay, so for the Big Boy Jones thing, me and Sahan dreamt up that Big Boy Jones, this comedy character I made up, would have a, a hat that would say, The Blues on it. Not just blues, the blues. The Blues. The I, blues. We thought it was just so funny. And so then uh, I was fortunate enough to have uh, Jefferson who owns sugar percussion are you familiar with that brand at all through you yep so okay so he makes did, these g- you, did, you did a thing drums. where you like
0: dump dump out like sugar, sugar. throw the drum
1: <laughs> i throw another drum in the trash can i mean um you know this is, uh, this is such a good video um am- thank you this is a uh, this is uh, a really amazing brand and they make uh stave style drums and i have never i have always hated staves because generally they're about a half to three quarter inch thick um they're not made out of of uh very nice wood there there's too much glue the edges aren't cut it just it it always sounds like garbage it's uh, or it has one thing that it does right jefferson's drums are much thinner but they're built, uh, somehow he does his joints so well. It, it's, it sticks together nice, uh, much less glue. The edges are beautiful and rounded. Um, and he, he comes from high-end furniture. He, he went to school to build high-end furniture, so having that background is amazing for this style of drum building. And yeah. so uh, just really great drums. They're, they're not cheap, but I will tell you, both, I have one drum he gave me is a 14 by 6 cedar stave drum, and if you play rock, and it's an amazing drum. The second drum he sent me is a 14 by 5, and it's made out of poplar, a very, very, very soft wood. Usually, I mean, it's cheap drums that will use plied poplar like uh, Pearl exports, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in a in a stave situation where you have thicker wood. Uh, with this particular edge and there's eight points of tension eight lugs on the drum it is and it's the best sounding drum i've ever owned in my life and to boot this one's broken he sent me this to uh we're going to be working on a uh quality control video in the future but um you know it's uh so I made, like, a hat that says sugar quality control. I have a hat that said uh, sugar percussion. That was a total joke. It didn't even feature the logo. It had, like, candies on the hat. and um, Amazing. But uh, this drum is broken. It's it's cracked three quarters through one of the staves. Not through the entire stave, but you know, it was a throwaway drum uh, because it just, uh, obviously, it, it didn't hold its, its structure immediately. So... Um, it is broken, and it is the best-sounding drum I own. It's stupid. I don't know how he does That's it. That's amazing. Um, worth every penny. He's an incredible guy, very, very kind man, and a very, very incredible builder. Um, amazing. So I don't own merch, but I will make one-off hats. If someone wants me to make you a stupid hat, give me a ring. I, mean, I guess the only merch <laughs> I have... The only merch I have is I do the drumless tracks. That's something that I'm able to do when I have strings of uh, bad weeks is I'm able to lay in bed and I can't drum. But what I can do is sit in Logic and uh, make drumless tracks. So I I have four volumes now. The first two are pretty uh, small, but the third volume I think is 101 tracks and the fourth volume, the newest one I released in January is 126 tracks.
0: Um and And they're and they're awesome. I've like I've gone through and scrolled through. So I definitely want people who are listening to this to like take that one seriously. Like check out those volumes because they're dope.
1: They're thank you. They're you know it's uh I created this is something I created for myself uh because It's nice to, when you're playing time and trying to create unique grooves within a song to play that time and, and, you know, with your own voice, it's nice to work within uh, a musical context versus just a metronome. So now, you know, having these uh, looped sections that you can work with that are long enough, you know, whatever, 15 to 30 minutes of pop, you can really dig into these things and, start to assess uh what is necessary to create a groove and what is necessary to create a groove with your own voice um and it's been well received a lot of drummers really love this stuff and i'm just i'm so happy that people are are using them a lot of people are making uh instagram videos with these tracks and you know playing drums over them and um it's just it's been really really cool to to see that people are digging that
0: absolutely so how are, it, man
1: what are you what do we wrapping up Do you have the questions or are we done with the questions
0: <laughs> You kind of answered any questions that usually I like to to before I end things be like what are you what are you doing that I can like tell people about what can we get people to go check out but I think you uh, you've got it down to a science man yeah,
1: yeah yeah I mean I guess my update is I'm going to see a ball doctor tomorrow and if you want to know anything more about me <laughs> go to Instagram <laughs> Uh, yeah, yes, I'm. Uh, please.
0: I'm on. Moral uh, of the story. Moral of the story. Out Tim on Instagram, please.
1: Go to your ball doctor regularly. Um, <laughs> my Instagram handle is uh, Timbo from Kino, um, and that's about it. Uh, I I do that there. I'm on Facebook, and uh, I have a dot com Tim Baltus B as in boy A L T E S dot com, uh, and uh, if you need drums. Well, not physical drums, but if you need drum tracks, give me a call here, and I'll ruin your record. Awesome, Derek. Uh, be the best. De- Derek, thank you so much for having me on here too. This was really
0: nice. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm so so glad that we that I finally uh, made made something work out. I appreciate you being flexible and rolling with the punches that I that I laid out there
1: for the for the folks at home. We have been having so much trouble trying to schedule this podcast, <laughs> Derek. Uh, I think his his pet dog ran away to Kansas. He had to drive down and find his pet dog one day. Uh, the other and day, I had to stop
0: at every every town to look for him.
1: He's yeah. you I don't know how many hot dog places you stopped at on the way down to Kansas, but it's we've been waiting weeks on this hot dog journey, and now finally that's over. We're able to uh, <laughs> take a reprieve. The dog is back. Several hot dogs have been consumed. This is an all-dog journey, and uh, we have uh, come back here to have this wonderful, ridiculous chat for over an hour and a half now. What a treat. Oh, my God,
0: dude. Oh, my God. You are so, I just can't get over the fact that you just made that shit up. This is This is my life. My whole
1: life is made up. Let's be real.
0: Oh, I love it. Dude, I'm, like, crying right now. (laughs) The hot dog journey. The hot dog journey.
1: If anybody wants to do the hot dog journey part two podcast Boogaloo, give me a call here, all right?
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, man. It's, like, it's going to be the next, uh, like, hashtag hot dog challenge oh yeah you know? hashtag hot dog journey all right man you are one of my new favorite people i want you to know that
1: <laughs> oh thank you so much i this was <laughs> a lot of fun i i'm really i'm really uh, this was a very pleasant surprise i this was a nice conversation thank you
0: yeah well man until next time hopefully hopefully we'll uh chat soon yes sir um absolute pleasure to have you on man all right we'll talk to you later Cool, sounds great man